Welcome to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World with your host, Anya Cates. This podcast has one mission, to rally a generation that's been labeled and groomed as lazy, triggered, and entitled, and invite us all to write a new story. One of a generation that's willing to challenge the status quo, reject black and white thinking, and opt out of each and every repressive system and box that we've been placed in. Above all else, I want to invite millennials to step up to the plate, to be vulnerable in owning our responsibility to ourselves and for walking this planet through the darkest of days. It's time to dream new dreams, write new stories, and create new futures. The great work begins. Hello, friends. Happy Monday. Thanks for tuning in, as always. It is a beautiful Monday here in Topanga. It's going to start raining again. But it's nice now, so nice in fact, that I'm going to do a rare burst of physical activity and actually take a hike, which I really don't do enough. So figured I'd throw up a quick podcast episode before I go enjoy the outdoors. Let's see, what's been going on with me? It's funny, I keep going through these phases where, you know, I I released a solo episode last week, I didn't really have any interviews, and I was kind of freaking out a little bit, because I was in a little bit of a lull, and now somehow I've got like four in the queue, and another couple that I'm recording this month, Um, so overloaded with interviews, which is definitely not a problem, not complaining, but it's interesting how that, how it sways from tons of content to not enough, um, But either way, you guys probably wouldn't notice the difference anyway, because I'm trying to do, trying to release an episode a week. That seems to be the pattern, seems to be working. Um, I've got so many cool episodes that I am super excited to share with you. Today's episode is with my friend Stephanie Dodier. Um, She, I guess we originally met at or found out about each other at a Paleo FX conference, but we really got close and I got to know who she was through giving her an astrology reading, which I mentioned on the interview. Um, it's been, I don't, I haven't done a lot of astrology readings lately, although if you do want one, I'm sort of opening them up when people request them, um, just not totally advertising them because I have a lot going on. But I gave her a reading last summer and it's just really cool when you chat with and vibe with a person who is speaking your language. And I totally felt that way with Steph. I really respected and appreciated the work that she was doing. She was super down to earth, super brave and courageous. And, you know, just one of those people that reached a certain point in her life and was like, fuck it, I need to do me. I need to do what I think is right and speak out around things that I think are true. And I fucking love people like that. (laughs) And I, I hope that this podcast is an inspiration to do more of that for us all to be more authentic, more vulnerable. I think that breeds authenticity and vulnerability. We talk a lot about that on this episode. Um, Stephanie will introduce herself on the show. So I won't 
go into too much of that now. Um, hope you guys enjoyed the solo episode last week. Um, I will likely be doing some more of those. If anyone has questions for me that they'd like to cover on the show, feel free to shoot me an email, Anya at AnyaKates.com. Funny story, actually, that I'll tell about this. So my name, going off on a tangent here, but so my name is Anya Cates. It, my last name is K-A-A-T-S. Now, technically, that last name is Dutch, and technically it's pronounced Kotz. However, when my family came to America from the Netherlands, you know, good all Americans fucked it up and were like, ah, I don't know how to deal with that double A and decided it was going to be Kate's. Why they decided Kate's and not cats? I have no idea. K-A-A being pronounced Kate's makes no sense. But either way, that's what they did. And so everyone in my family refers to ourselves as the Kate's family. And there have been like all these hilarious iterations of this in my family where people in the world are very confused by our last name. And so before I was born or when I was really young, my dad, um, I think changed the spelling of his so that people would pronounce it properly. My brother, when he was playing music, actually decided to spell his name phonetically. His name is Mika Cates, M-I-C-A-H, which again, like another challenging name to pronounce. And he was getting so sick of people mispronouncing it that he decided as a musician, he was going to be M-E-E-K-A-K-A-T-E-S so that people would pronounce it properly. And the irony of that is that he then actually moved to the Netherlands to pursue music. And he was playing with and recording with this band called Krakensmak, which was K-R-A-A-K-S-M-A-A-K or C-K. So he like went all through all this trouble to change the spelling of his name when he actually ended up in the one place that would have pronounced his name properly. When I lived in the Netherlands, um, when I was in college in Amsterdam, everyone there just said my name was Anya Kotz and... I didn't correct them because they were correct. I was the one that was saying it wrong. So I've I've had this moment or moments recently, a friend of mine calls me Anya Kotz and I never corrected him. And then he finally heard me say my name and was like, why didn't you ever correct me? And I was like, well, actually, I'm the one that's saying it wrong. So I have this idea that maybe I should just start saying my name is Anya Kotz, but it's so weird. I've definitely like never had the desire to change my name. When I got married, I didn't change my name. So it's strange. It's strange coming off my tongue. It doesn't actually sound weird at all when people refer to me as Anya Kotz, but when I say it, it's like so bizarre. So if I randomly on this podcast start introducing myself as Anya Kotz, oh, I guess I would have to change the intro to my podcast as well. <laughs> but I'm thinking about just doing it because it pisses me off. Like, Kate's makes no sense and Kotz is right. And I feel like I should just start this charge of saying it correctly and maybe I'll influence the rest of my family. Anyway, so if you randomly hear me saying my name in like all sorts of strange ways, I'm not crazy. I'm not having an identity crisis. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Anyway, that's my random story for today. Um, I'm not going to bother you with much more of my ramblings and rants. Um, Lots of really cool interviews coming up, as I mentioned. I'm going to be traveling a lot, so there'll be lots of cool stuff to talk about. 
Um, as a reminder, this podcast is ad-free, so if you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash, here we go, Anya Katz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S. I offer all sorts of perks. Um, really excited about that budding community over there, and it helps me make the show a reality. So if you guys are listening to it, and I see the numbers steadily climbing every week, which is really cool, um... It's actually one of the coolest things ever to kind of see it grow like that and know that you all are sharing it with people, your friends, etc. Um, it's just awesome. And I appreciate you guys, all of you, even those who aren't patrons. But if you are a patron, I like you a little bit more. <laughs> um, but yeah, it takes a lot of energy and time and work and equipment costs and all of that to do this show. So kind of like public radio, if you want to keep this happening and um, allow me to interview more people, maybe go out and interview people in um, person, offer a lot of bonus content, all that. Um, I'd really appreciate your support. So patreon.com. God, I have an identity crisis every time I have to say this. Anya Katz. Patreon.com slash Anya Katz. Katz, Katz. Sounds so Dutch, don't I? Um, and I guess that's it. So enjoy this episode and talk to you soon. All right, we're live. I am, I would say, I was going to say sitting here with Steph, sitting remotely with Steph. <laughs> um, I met Steph when I actually gave her an astrology reading. I guess it was sometime last fall, maybe. Yeah. Um, and we got to talking and I found out what she did for a living and it super jived with my world outlook as far as it relates to food and dieting and health and health issues in general. And way back when I said, well, when I launch my podcast, got to have you on. So here we are. <laughs> um, so I would love to start um, because I don't actually know if I know the full, full story and would love a refresh from when we last spoke about your journey and, and um, maybe a little introduction about what you do now mm -hmm. and then give us some context as to how you got there. Awesome. So I'm a woman on a journey of um, helping women go beyond the food. So this is where typically I lose people. So going beyond the food <laughs> is about helping women live a confident life by trusting, respecting their innate body wisdom. So we often... Uh, do that through the medium of food. So I'm a clinical nutritionist. So I'm, I'm scientifically trained around food. But I've discovered that our relationship to food is way more than nutrition. It has a lot to do with our emotion, aka emotional eating, binge eating, whatever your thing is with food and has a lot to do with our mind, our subconscious mind, particularly that drives the food behavior. So we spend a lot of energy and time trying to regulate our food behavior our eating behavior through the actual nutrition. When in fact it's around our emotions and our thoughts that we should put our energy. So our program, the going to be on the food Academy helps women understand that and learn how to regulate their eating behavior through their emotion and their thoughts. So that's what I do today. Now, um, full disclosure, I'm 43 and I've not done that my whole life. And this is where we're going to get into my story. Um, 
this is my second career, my second life, the non-egotistical part of my life, depending what your belief around um, consciousness is, but that's the second part of my life. Um, I'd like to bring you back to the first part of my life, uh, which was my ego phase, which was about like achieving and proving my work to the world. So I was a career woman, very successful in the corporate world, um, had a career, money, cars, the whole thing that most people would want to have. I had it all by the time I hit 35. And at 36, my life took a dramatic change in uh, following an incident on stage. So I was talking to my employees on stage and I collapsed. And at that point in my life, I was uh, obese and everybody thought that I had a heart attack and I was sent in an ambulance to the hospital thinking to have had a heart attack. Six hours later, diagnosis came in, no heart condition, sent to my family doctor who diagnosed me with a bunch of chronic condition, among which was depression, anxiety, panic attack, um, heart condition, high cholesterol, pre-diabetic, inflammation. I mean, the whole conundrum of things. I left my doctor's office at 36 with five prescription medication. And something happened in that moment where I left the doctor's office. I was walking down the hallway and I can replay it all in my head. I can visually see it all looking at the script of prescription. And I don't know where it come from. At that point, I had no idea what was happening, but something told me that wasn't the way to go. And that if I started those prescription, I was literally going to be hooked on them for the rest of my life. And I was not going to be living for long. So I took the prescription slip, threw it in the garbage at the end of the hallway and said, we're going to figure something out. And this is not my normal behavior at that point in my life because I'm very controlling um, and I'm very factual so later on into my life, in the last eight years, I figured out that was my intuition, but at the time I had no idea. Um, and that propulsed me into the world of natural healing, um, which I met with a naturopath, got a health coach, and literally revived my health with natural solution. And um, I got so inspired that I left my job, left a career behind, and went and studied um, holistic nutrition and functional medicine and started working with people in a clinic setting, opened my clinic and worked with mostly women on helping them with their health. Uh, but as I was providing diets, meal plan, back in the days, I was big on paleo, which is actually, by the way, pause for a little bit. That's where we met for the first time. Yeah. It at is. paleo effects. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so I was big in the world of paleo and I was doing what most nutritionists would do, which is to tell people to change what they eat and that was going to fix everything for them. And in course of practicing and seeing patients coming back and seeing myself not fully recovering all my health issue. I was still struggling with anxiety I was still struggling with depressive thoughts. I was still struggling with 
quote, adrenal fatigue, for those who are aware of that, like a dysregulation of cortisol pattern. And although I had the perfect diet and I'd lost a bunch of weight, nothing on that front was getting better. And I was starting to gain weight because I was struggling with food craving. I was seeing the same pattern in my patient. And I started to actually binge. Binge eating is something that I developed in those years. And I was binging on like organic paleo bread. Right? So most people wouldn't even consider that binging, but it was because I would eat the entire bread in one sitting because I was so restrictive in my mindset that I would crave bread, but I would never dare eating wheat bread, right? Because that was deadly. Uh, so I was binging on paleo bread. And later on, I became, um, back in the days, keto was unknown. But for me, that was like the most restrictive level you could go to. So I went there and the binging behavior got worse. And then that propulsed me into the world of um, where we have in common, which is the role of our emotion and our thoughts and our food behavior. And I started to study that, close my clinic, because I was making people worse and actually better. And I opened um, my practice online and the going to be on the food method was born out of that. And that's my focus today is helping women with the psychology of eating from a holistic perspective. So mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical health. Amazing. That was a yeah. long-winded answer. <laughs> no, I thought it was it was quite good. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely really want to talk to you about this, like, because I see this in working with other people, talking with other people, mm-hmm. certainly in dealing with my own journey. You know, you speak about this moment in your life where there was kind of like a severe wake-up call, right? There mm-hmm. was a trauma, there was um, an incident which propelled you into an awareness. And I would love your thoughts around, is that necessary (laughs) to get in your experience of working with women? Do you think something like that is necessary for us to pick up on this? And what kind of challenges do you deal with? Because this is such a tough, touchy subject. Like I, I was, I became a health coach. I went to IIN. Mm -hmm. I never really planned to be a health coach. And part of the reason I didn't want to actually do it in practice is because I didn't know how to sit down with people and say, Hey, by the way, I don't actually think that the food is the issue. I think we need to talk about your emotional problems, but as like a certified holistic health coach, what right did I have to talk about people's emotional issues? Right. So I, you know, like I, if you can elaborate on some of these issues of how mm-hmm. to get around, um, those roadblocks and what might need to happen, like whether it's someone can step in and say, Hey, I think you need to look at this or do people need to come at this themselves and have their own kind of awakening? So this is a a, a awesome question. I'm going to start with the first part. You may have to remind me on the latter part. So the first part I want to address, do, do people have to have a trauma and like a sudden shock to have this awakening? The answer is no, technically no. However, based on the life of the person, the lifestyle, the environment they live in, how they were raised and how their level of awareness is on a day-to-day basis, very often that trauma, that event has to come in their life for them to have this awakening, it's like a shock of the 
uh, of the brain of the insula to say, oh my God, there's something else there. That's what I see most of the time. Now, that shock, that event is on a spectrum, meaning that for some people like me, it's like collapse on stage, like trauma, hospital, prescription, like holy shit, right? Can we swear here? Yes. <laughs> okay. Please do. <laughs> so holy shit moment, what the fuck happened? And for other people, it's the shock is still a shock to them, but it's a simple diagnosis of prediabetes. Mm -hmm. That's a shock for them. And that's what propels them into thinking beyond. So it, it's a spectrum, right? My mission in life is to not have women go through that, to have this awakening. What I'm seeing and where I'm challenged all the time is some women will not have that trauma, that shock, and want to work on their emotion, their thoughts, their spirituality. But because they haven't suffered enough, there is not that motivation to make the change that needs to be made. So they'll sit on the sideline, listening, participating, and maybe trying it for a bit and then reverting back because they haven't suffered enough, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Other women have no trauma. They're like, they read this book and it was an awakening and they're like, I'm in. Like, this makes so much sense. I'm almost tempted to say maybe because it was like a past life. There's something in their past that like makes the transition easy. But unfortunately, in this world, that's a small percentage. Most people have to get some kind of shock. And that's where it's sad. But it's almost the motivation that people need to make those shift in their life. Right. Did I answer I that question? Yeah, definitely. I always thought about with myself that it was actually the health issues that were kind of the gift that led me to the awakening, you know, yes. that what I really needed to do was all this emotional work. And so personally it got to the point where my body was like, knock, knock, <laughs> there's some stuff you mm -hmm. need to deal with. Right. So looking at it like that. Um, the other thing is, so let me introduce a concept called body messages yeah. to the conversation. So, our body, our spiritual, so I adhere to the, the holistic model of health, which has four body, right? Mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical. Our physical body, it's kind of a sum of everything else. And the, those subtle body that is the emotional, mental, and spiritual kind of can't talk to us. And it's something we can't touch. So it goes through the physical layer the body and it show it's trying to talk to us through symptoms, right? Commonly known as symptoms in the holopathic medicine, like high blood pressure, um, digestive issue, depression, binging issue, um, craving. So for me, those symptoms started like at 25 years old, like all along was my body was trying to, talk to me, but I was so caught up in this ego phase of my life that I was like, well, whatever, like 
I'm not going to matter. I'm not going to listen to it because I just need to keep going to prove myself. Right. Mm -hmm. So to the people listening, when your body shows symptoms, that is kind of where you can start reacting. So it doesn't become a trauma. And that's likely what you did, right? You reacted to those body messages through symptoms. And I don't think you had to collapse or ended up in emergency or surgery. Am I correct? Uh, I was close. <laughs> You're close. Okay, yeah. good. But not good, but... Yeah, yeah. Along the way, there's small symptoms. There's small messages, but we are not attuned to listen to them. So we suppress them. Yeah, yeah. And... What are the ways, because I think this is where I got caught up for many, many years, where when I first, when I, when my body first started showing symptoms of a problem, this was like seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And I was raised by a mother who was pretty into holistic medicine, had like a briefcase of like homeopathy. So I was pretty well versed in natural, the natural wellness world. And so my first inclination was to, heal everything naturally and not go to the regular doctor and not take prescription pills, but to try to solve it holistically. What I found was that it is just as easy to abuse that space hmm. and use that as a means to still avoid the issue, right? Thinking you can out supplement your problems. Um, mm -hmm. And then discovered that like, it didn't even matter if I had gone to the regular doctor or the naturopath, I was still stuck, stuck in that same cycle. Um, yes. And I know we were talking before we started recording and you, this whole thing about this with the wellness industry and <laughs> wellness diet. And I would love for you to elaborate on that because I think what something that looks like a solution uh, is can very easily be disguised as, yet another problem. Absolutely. So let's talk about diet culture. Okay. So I'm in the means of so people who don't see me. I'm a larger body woman and I help women often when they come to me is because they want to lose weight, but they've tried everything. So let's think of weight gain as one of those symptoms, right? The solution we've all been educated on since we're probably six, seven years old, when we gain weight is to eliminate the problem going through a diet, which is restriction of food and or increase of exercise, right? Calorie in, calorie out model, or even what I now call today the wellness diet. It's actually a term coined by um, a fellow colleague, Christy Harrison, uh, registered dietitian who works with eating disorder uh, clientele. And so the wellness diet is not like the Weight Watchers or the Janie Craig of our grandmother of our mother. The wellness diet is keto, intermittent fasting, or for me, paleo, right? So we're not restricting and we're not counting calories to say we are restricting a food group. We are restricting a window of eating pretending that it's not dieting, but the outcome we're looking for is weight loss, six-pack ab, or 
controlling some kind of health problem with only addressing the physical body through food, right? Back in the days in the 80s was just around weight. And now that we became more educated, it's weight and or health. So though it is not coined as a diet, I call it the wellness diet because what it does is it restricts food and severely. I don't know if you've noticed the pattern, but South Beach, paleo, and now keto, and now intermittent fasting keto, like there's nothing... Like we've removed more food than we actually can consume food. And all this time, we're not considering our emotion. All this time, we're not considering our thoughts. All this time, we're not considering our spirituality. We're bypassing all of that with an attempt to control food. And it's not working. That's why we constantly have to go through this escalation And honestly, I don't know what else can be more complicated than a full-on ketogenic diet. So, like, at some point, this model is going to have to stop because there's really going to be nothing left for us to consume. Yeah. Right? Like, when we're at the point where we're taking food that is natural, like, example, a sweet potato, just I'm giving workshops to the public right now, and I'll give you an instance of of a... beautiful 50-year-old woman who at the question period raised her hand and asked me, Stephanie, I I can't find this answer anywhere, but explain to me why carrots are poison. Like, what do you mean? Well, I'm on a ketogenic diet and my naturopath tells me I should not eat any root vegetable. They're dangerous for us. There's too much sugar in it. How can we get to that point where we tell people that carrots and sweet potato are dangerous for their health? Like there's something we're missing and it's because we are not talking about emotion. We're not talking about your thoughts. We're not talking about spirituality. So we're constantly trying to heal a problem that's rooted somewhere else through more complicated and more restrictive food. So that wellness diet, the diet culture is reinforcing the allopathic model of health, which is to not talk about emotion, not talk about thoughts and spirituality. Did I answer the question? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and it kicks into this shame cycle, like, oh. and I, <clears throat> that I have found, I, like, and I wasn't even conscious around how, you know, because I spent seven years kind of on and off doing a paleo diet. And I, at some point, when I became very in tune with my intuition, very conscious of my emotional, spiritual issues, it wasn't very difficult to realize that the restriction that I was putting myself under was causing more stress than probably like eating the pizza. I mean, I went through, like I haven't shared this, but I straight up had a moment like a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, I forget when it was when I had bought bread with gluten in it for the first time in, I can't even fucking remember. And and I've eaten regular bread out at restaurants at other people's house. Like I haven't been totally gluten-free in a long time, but I hadn't purchased real bread for myself in nearly a decade and butter too. <laughs> like I'd use ghee, but not butter. And I bought fucking butter and bread. And I was sitting, I was standing at my counter and I put the butter on this bread and I ate it. And I just, I straight up started to cry. Like I, it would became so clear to me 
how much I had kept myself from the joy of eating bread and butter. And I don't have celiac disease. It's always been very unclear to me. And I've been very skeptical around even my issue with dairy or gluten. It was just two of those things that I was eliminating because I couldn't solve my health issues. And so I did it. Um, and now it's like, I'm, I'm almost, it feels like me feeding myself that bread and butter is actually like the healthiest thing I can do. It is. Yeah. (laughs) It is the healthiest thing you can do because so there's so much to say for me there, but, um, when we restrict food, um, we can do it from two places. We can do it from a place of love or we can do it from a place of fear. Two, I mean, it's the most two basic emotion in this world is love and fear. That's where everything else comes from. All other emotion comes from. And when we are on the wellness diet, the paleo, the keto, we're doing it from a place of fear. And that's why it's called a restriction. When we engage with food from a place of intuition, AKA there's a whole model of health or not health, but eating that's called intuitive eating, right? We can talk about that later, but that taps into your four bodies of health. When you engage with food from a place of love, you look at bread Am I restricting it because I'm afraid of it because gluten is the evil, although I don't have celiac disease? Or am I saying, you know what, when I have, for me, for example, when I have one croissant, I'm French, I love croissant. When I have one croissant, I don't have any symptoms. So I can sit with my croissant in my cafe and freaking have an orgasm. Like I'm loving (laughs) the whole moment and I'm cherishing it. I'm outside on the, like, I'm just picturing like I was in Portugal last year and I was just like sitting in front of this like thousand year old church, having my cafe and having my croissant, having this moment of memory of love in my life. Now, if I go out and have six croissants in one day, likely going to have gas and bloating. That's my level of tolerance, but I'm engaging with it from a place of love towards my body, a place of trust, a place of respect, and a place of knowing that innately my body has a wisdom that will allow me to thrive no matter what the circumstances are. Up to my personal limit, which is probably two croissants. After that, things go downhill. That's a place of love. Now, place of fear will say you'll never have croissant for the rest of your life. And if you do, this is where the tricky thing is about the wellness diet is that it's associated with your self-worth. That's probably where you, and I know I, was tripped over is that the way that I consume food, the way that I engage with food gave me value to the world. And it's even more reinforced with, I'm holding my phone right now, Instagram right? As we all know, people don't put their real life on Instagram. I know being the industry that we're both in, we know influencer, right? People that have like 50 and 100,000 and 200,000 followers that are influencer either in the context of paleo or keto, which is both where we came from and could be the same thing in the place of vegan, that literally 
have their own self-worth attached to it. And they don't, they, their value into the world comes from what they put up on Instagram. And the reality is from knowing those people, they're not a hundred percent all the time, but they have to pretend to be to like satisfy their followers, satisfy their self-worth. And then they get into this whole mind issue and shame issue that you're talking about. Like, I work with influencers that are in the binging cycle because of this whole self-work that is attached to them putting out on Instagram, this perfection model and the guilt and the failure they shame around that. It's nasty. And all of it is coming from a place of engaging with food from a place of way beyond nutrition. There's a lot of emotion tangled around that, and we can't distinguish that. Yeah. And what is, you know, talking about intuitive eating, like, because that can go wrong too, right? That can be, I I mean, I think all of these things, like if we're not conscious and aware about them can be detriments to our health and wellness. Um, But let's like, okay, so if we're talking about emotional stuff, if we're talking about spiritual stuff, can we delve in a little bit to like, what does that look like? What is getting in touch with our emotions look like? What is dealing with our spiritual issues look like? What are some of like, whether that's what you went through or some of your clients, um, tangibly speaking, what is, what is the process (laughs) there? So um, the best way for me to explain that is through the, the model of how emotion play in our body. So we express it in our work through a wave, right? So our emotions, our thoughts, and I won't include spirituality, but our emotion and our thoughts come and go in our body as a mean of providing us information, Literally, that's the role of the thoughts and the emotion. And they, and they're the model of a wave. The emotion will come into the body. It will peak through sensation in the body, right? You'll feel it through your body to provide you the information. Is this good? Is this bad? And then it should wash away. Literally, it should come down. You should interpret the information, decide, make different choices, and move on into your life until the next emotion comes in. You go through the wave again, and your thoughts are exactly the same thing. We should not be stuck in a negative thought cycle. Thoughts should come in. You should see them for where they are, not being attached to them, and then letting them go until the next one comes in. It's kind of a a bank of information, your thoughts, and your emotion. The problem is that we are afraid of our emotion and we are afraid of being stuck in thought patterns and therefore we don't deal with them. We avoid them, right? So the best example of that is when you teach people in our world, we use mindfulness as an approach to help and coach women on how to deal with their emotion and their thoughts. And when you teach a very basic mindfulness meditation, like we're not talking about chanting, we're not talking about mantra, we're just talking about closing your eyes and breathing. It is the most challenging things that women have to do. They can train for a marathon. I've seen that happen. Like I have athletes 
who can like go through grueling training, but when I ask them to sit for 10 minutes, their eyes close and breathing, it's the end of the world. Because we are afraid, if you look at neuroscience, we're afraid of the sensation in our body. We're so disconnected from the body because we're all head, we're all data, facts, macros, right? And we actually don't feel the body. So when we close our eyes and we start breathing and we start connecting with the body, we're like, holy fuck, what is this? What, what do you mean? I can actually feel the stress in my, oh, scary. I don't want to feel that, <laughs> right? Let's go back into the head. Let's go back and trying to control everything. So it's kind of a muscle that we have over time underdeveloped that we need to reconnect to and start playing with it and go through that wave and releasing and let go and wave and releasing and let go. So how does that play or does that show up is that, well, take emotional eating for an example. So for an example, frustration will show up. I don't know, you're at work, colleague frustrate the heck out of you. And then the sensation, like the frustration goes through your body, but you're denying it, right? You're denying it. No, it's not happening. It's not happening. You go to your desk drawer. You open the, the junk desk drawer. We all have it for those who work in a cubicle. You grab your stuff and then you start eating completely unconsciously to numb the frustration that you don't want to feel and you don't want to react to because you don't want to tell him or her something that you shouldn't be telling them and you feel that you're stuck and then you're not processing this information. You're not feeling it. You're just reacting with your head and you end up emotionally grabbing food to numb the sensation that you don't want to feel. Is that a good example? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I guess where I was going with it that I think a lot of like these chronic emotional issues are stemming from like super deep childhood. Oh. You want to talk about trauma? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, let's talk about trauma. So um, trauma. So trauma is in your nervous system. So I'm a person of a, that studied somatic work, uh, somatic experiencing. And so the way that I explain trauma, it's not in the event, it's in the nervous system, right? So Example for me, I'll, I'll talk about one of my trauma. So trauma does not have to be sexual abuse or physical abuse. Trauma can simply, I was raised by a loving family, two parents, a brother, money, not rich, but enough money for everything. However, my dad was very pushy in sports. Like he wanted both of his kids to be athletes and to have gold medal and to be the best at everything we do. Happens to be that I'm a completely uncoordinated person and I suck at sports. Not my thing, right? So my dad traumatized me because he constantly pushed me to perform and to train. Like by the time I was nine, I was training twice a day swimming, morning and night. Not having friends, not having relationship with people around me, just focus on performing because I was so not good that I needed to train twice a day. And that was very traumatic, because my father would scream at me and the event ended up causing in my nervous system, literally a rewiring around sports and around performance that I was not good enough that I needed to like all the time prove myself. And that was very painful and it got linked to food. So by the time I was 10, I was hiding food and I was cooking food in secret 
because I couldn't deal with the pain associated with the trauma with my father. So this is how trauma comes into play when it comes to food and it comes to disease. How many of our lifestyle behavior are associated with events that happen in our past that have rewired our nervous system that dictate how we engage with stress or how we engage with self-care? Like how many people struggle with self-care? Part of the reason why they struggle with self-care is literally when it comes to be the time to be compassionate with themselves, their nervous system cannot react in a proper way to engage with self-care behavior because of trauma that have happened in the past and they can't do it. Like I see that all the time, like going to bed early, they can't do it. Well, or I think there's a misunderstanding about what self-care is and that it's also coming through from a place of guilt and shame, right? Like, I'm so fucked up. I'm messing with my body so much that I need to take this fucking bath because I'm a horrible person. (laughs) It's like, no, no, wait a second. You know, and I think that's like goes back to the bread thing. It's like, it doesn't on paper, it doesn't look like it, but eating the fucking bread is the most self-care I could do, not you know, I need to cleanse and detox and that's not self-care, at least not for me, because that stuff is associated with a lot of guilt and shame. Um, Let's talk about mindset. Yeah. Right. So what you're expressing right now is the outcome of the, I need to fix myself mindset versus life is abundant and there's all kinds of possibilities. So I can eat a piece of bread and I'm not going to die versus I'm so broken I cannot tolerate one piece of bread. I need to go on the paleo diet for the rest of my life and not even look at bread because I'm so broken because of things that have happened in the past, right? Somewhere along the way, typically our caregiver have said things or done things that led us to believe that we're not good enough. That is 95% of the women that are, quote, want to lose weight. They all have this, I need to fix myself mindset. Hence why when they finally lose the weight like I did, I was a size eight at six foot tall, which is skinny, like small. I still had no confidence in myself. I, even at a size eight, 180 pounds, I did not want to wear tight clothes because I believe that I, I still had rolls on my tummy. And that was like the worst thing you can do in the world. Proved to be body confidence, body acceptance has nothing to do with the weight on the scale. It's all in your head. And it comes from the, I need to fix myself mindset. And until you fix that and you address the trauma and the story behind the, I need to fix myself, you're going to go back on the loop and on the wellness diet train your whole life. Right. It's like a multi-level awakening in a sense, right? It's like, we have to recognize that there was that trauma to begin with. We have to like deal with all the anger and grief and shit that comes up that we've been avoiding right this whole time, then we have to accept that we have been basically punishing ourselves and treating our bodies. I mean, this even applies to like crappy relationships, right? That we are putting ourselves in harm's way as a result of the trauma that we suffered. So there's that whole thing. You've got to like oh, right, well, I've caused myself all this pain, but I also can't hate myself for that because that just puts me back into the cycle. It's like there's so many levels of unpacking this, and I I feel like until we get through all of them, 
that's the only point at which I feel that we're able to develop a relationship to our intuition, right? Where we, Mm. like one of the things I would say all the time before, I mean, for my whole life, I would always say like, I don't know how I feel. I don't know what my opinion is versus someone else's opinion. You know, it's like there were signs and symptoms along the way, but I didn't understand where it came from. But it wasn't until I had to confront all of these pretty painful, traumatic situations that I was able to finally get to a place of like, it feels really good to eat this bread. Yeah. Um, And, and by confronting it, you unknowingly were rewiring your nervous system, which allow you to engage with bread without shame and guilt. So let me ask you a question. You're saying, you said we need to confront all of our trauma to be able to tap into our intuition. Here's what I found, and and we can discuss that, is there's always a new thing to confront. What I have found is that as I peel one layer, another one uncovers. And then I peel this layer, another one uncover. But in the process of peeling the layer, I build resilience and I build confidence that then allows me to have those self-care behavior while I'm peeling the next layer. Yeah, totally. And then spirituality at the base of it, the reason why we have a spiritual body is to have faith, right? To have faith that when alone, that something, someone else got it figured out for us, that everything happens for a reason. There's always something good coming out of the tunnels and so forth. And as you, for me anyway, as I build that spirituality, that is in my case, not God associated, but just universe, I started to be able to change how I looked at life and quote, the roadblocks that were put in front of me, instead of seeing them as a roadblock, I was like, huh, how interesting is that? What's going to come out on the other side? And then I started to engage with life with faith and positivity that on the other side of that roadblock was going to be something better for me. And again, building resilience, building confidence. Right. Well, yeah. And I think part of the issue in thinking that we ever arrive at a place, right? That that again funnels us back into the the cycle because then it's like, when this happens, I'll be okay. But then when we're not okay, it's like, oh, I fucked up or I didn't do good enough. And um, yeah, I think that's a really good point that this is an, this is an endless journey. (laughs) And, and I remember when I started to like try and when my health issues got really, really bad a couple of years ago, of course, coinciding with a divorce and like a really traumatic <laughs> incident with my family, like, oh, surprise, surprise. I remember saying like, well, I just want, I hope, you know, I got some tests and she recommended some stuff. And I remember the words that came out of my mouth, like, well, let, this better work this time. You know, like I just, this has to be fixed. Um, and of course it didn't really work fully. Uh, and so I had to just kind of accept that like, Mm-hmm. wherever I'm at is an acceptable place to be as long as I'm moving forward. Um, and I and think, yeah, go ahead. The question is, what is that health issue taught you? Like what's the teaching behind that for you? Oh boy. Um, well, I mean, I think it was my 
it was intense, intense stress and self-repression that I was not living authentically. I was extremely codependent, taking care of other people. I had a lot of shame around uh, myself, my sexuality. Um, I was the, the message I was sent in my childhood was you don't love me. While in my mind, I was like, basically like cut off my limbs in order to show someone that I loved them. And yet they didn't see it, which made me feel insane because it was like, but if I'm doing all this shit and it feels like this and you don't see it, so I would bend over backwards basically to take care of other people before I took care of myself. And I think my, my, I've had health issues since I was a baby. I, had serious digestive issues as a, like an infant that continued throughout my, Hmm. uh, teenage years. Then I started a paleo diet and those health issues just evolved into new health issues. Um, and it finally occurred to me after doing every single diet supplement detox, every regimen that existed, that I knew at some point, like I wasn't stupid. I recognized that, you know, it wasn't going to be solved through those means. There was nothing else in that regard that I could do. So the only thing left in my mind was to do what I had been, I think, very afraid to do up until that point, which was to ask myself, why am I sick? Like, Mm. why is this happening? Um, and I, you know, I didn't even realize I was stressed. You know, I didn't, I, I was very high functioning. One of my favorite books is drama of the gifted child that I mention mm. um, a lot and recognizing that this like grandiosity, this kind of high performance, I think probably similar to yeah. what you're talking about is just, it's the exact same thing as depression. It's an avoidance of oneself and one's emotions. Um, but I was like, I had my own business at, you know, 26 and I bought a house and was making three, you know, six figures. And it was very easy for me to be like, but what are you talking about? Everything's great. And yet I was in like a horrible relationship and I was chronically ill. Um, so I, what was your question? What did my health issues teach yeah. me? I mean, I think they were the path that, um, brought me to my intuition. Like, they are, they were relentless. It was the one thing that was not, I feel, I mean, and I'm still not a hundred percent there. Right. And I, I'm learning more and more about how to communicate with my body and recognizing how my body is basically telling me what my intuition hasn't quite picked up on yet. So mm-hmm. it's, it's like a yes, yes. A little friend on my shoulder. That's like, by the way, I don't know if, uh, you're totally conscious that that person's treating you like shit, but like, I'm going to do crap to your body to remind Here's you. Here's IBS for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think the, the farther I get on that journey and that process of trusting myself, um, and which is challenging, but I'm on that road, right? The, the more I, uh, don't need the health issues to illuminate the problem for me, the less of them I have. Yeah. You're Um, less attached to them 
And that's part of your journey, right? Spiritually, mentally, and emotionally to evolve. So this is beautiful, what you just said. So the disease that we see as the enemy now becomes our friend. Right. Right? Now it's your friend because you're listening to it. So when the symptoms arise, you're like, oh, there's something here. And it's not the slice of bread. It's how I'm engaging with my partner or my sexual life at this point that is not alignment to where I want to go. Yeah. You're playing with the symptoms. One thing that I'm guided to ask or not ask, but discuss right now. Um, and I don't know if you talk about that in your podcast or not, but generational trauma, like trauma from your ancestor and your past life. Do you talk about that? I have talked a little bit about it. I interviewed um, Kylie Macbeth on, I think the second episode and we delved into that and I, um, Yes, she, it was one of the quotes that I used in my post that it, you know, intergenerational trauma is coming up, uh, to be dealt with and the body is letting us know. Yes. Um, And, and I, I actually, what was so miraculous, I think about my own journey for me personally was that when this first started to happen, when everything exploded all at once, there was a core pit in my stomach intuition that said, this is exactly where you're supposed to be right now. Like this is the most horrible pain you've ever been in physically, emotionally, spiritually, but you're exactly where you need to be. And I held on to that. It was kind of the only guiding light for me of like, all right, I'm just going to go and I'm going to go through this process. My, I think a lot of my awakening happened through the process of grief. And it was very clear to me early on that what I was grieving, the pain that I was feeling was not just my own, but Mm. that of my mother and her mother, et cetera. And that, I mean, that was spectacular because I didn't read any books. I didn't know anything about this. I didn't, hadn't even quite developed spiritual beliefs yet. Um, And there was just this intuitive knowing of like, this is so horrific that there's no way that this is just my pain. I think I first started to be like, was I like sexually abused as a kid? Cause like, there's gotta be something I'm missing here. Cause this is really bad. Um, and it, and then what was so amazing was that then I found some books. One of the books that I talk about a lot is uh, by this guy, Francis Weller called uh, the wild edge of sorrow. Mm. And he talks about intergenerational trauma and grief and, and just the grief that we we always just associate grief with like someone dies. Um, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of grief, um, that is outside of that. Um, and it was like, when I would read these books, it was like, yes, what you were feeling, what you were intuiting is right. And here's, you know, my lifelong research and work in this area to make you feel more confident. And that, that was a moment that really helped me trust myself. Right. Because, I came upon all that stuff on my own. Um, but for sure, I, uh, I think that is, I see that a lot in my generation, especially, I think we're all very sick and, um, in in a myriad of Mm -hmm. ways. And I think are confronting, I think it's partially because of what's going on in the world right now and our age and that we're being handed this world um, and recognizing that we don't want to pass this on anymore. Yeah. Um, so we still have to peel the layer of the onion, but when you recognize generational trauma in alignment with health issue, 
you know that you have to peel the layer, but it's not yours. So it helps the, I need to fix myself situation. Like for me, it's scarcity, right? Fear Mm -hmm. of not having enough money. That's my thing. And it comes from generation of Roman Catholic and farming and poor. And I, this layer that I'm peeling right now is mine, but it's not mine. It comes from things that were passed on to me in my spiritual, mental, and emotional body. And if you go to science, there is studies that are starting to say that it's in your nervous system, right? That's the somatic experiencing that will teach you that the way that you, when you are a child, literally 8, 10, 12 months old, and the way your parents carry you and act around you modulates your nervous system. So it relates back to that generational trauma, how your mom shows up to you as a baby, modulate how you're going to interact with the world at a nervous system level and a spiritual level. Yeah. So when you can see health issue as an indicator and a willingness to deep dive, then that's when all of those things can become beautiful instead of scary and ugly. Right. And that release a whole bunch of stress. Yeah. And I think I talk about this concept a lot on the podcast, this idea of taking responsibility without accepting the blame. Yeah. Um, Do you want to talk about that a little bit? (laughs) Well, here's my perspective. We are afraid of accepting responsibility when it comes to our health or even when it comes to self-talk in a context of weight issue. We are afraid of accepting responsibility because it's going to force us to look beyond the food and beyond medication and beyond symptoms management. And we are literally not wired to do that based on the generation behind us because our parents hasn't shown us how to do that for most of us, right? We're all brain people and top-held people. So when it comes to feeling things, we're not equipped for that. Therefore, we're uncomfortable. Therefore, we're afraid. And taking responsibility for our health and for our weight requires us to go there. So like, heck no, let me go on a diet, let me control what I eat, or let me take symptoms management medication, because this way I don't need to go there. So when we go there, we can't go there from a place of I need to fix myself, which is the blame thing you're talking about. It's about how can I use that to get to know myself better and to understand myself better as, as opposed to I need to fix myself and I'm broken. That's my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge, like I was talking to someone this morning about it. You know, once we get to a place of recognition around how the world society and culture at large is not our best friend. Mm -hmm. And in fact is working against us in many different ways, once we discover that, even in one way, it opens us up to the ways in which that's happening elsewhere, right? So whether it's like food or sexuality or relationships or just consumerism in general, like we start to realize that part of why I think we are suffering so much is because we are living lives that are completely uh, against our instinctual nature as humans, um, which is love, right? Like when we bring it back to the most conceptual basis is love. And that's what we were talking about. Like we were talking about work stuff before we started, right? Um, like how many of us sees our career as an expression of giving ourselves love? 
like letting go of things that don't serve us, make less money if that makes us more happy and that allows us to live our freedom. Like I ditched out like three quarters of my salary, but I'm free to go wherever I want. That's love, right? right? Because that's my instinct of being free and teaching the world through my own story. But that goes against everything my parents taught me, like every single bits of things. Yeah. Well, and I think it's threatening also because to, to other people, it's like we have to push through this thick brush of judgment and um, shame from people we expect will support us no matter what. And I think that's, I mean, that was such a big reason for me to start this podcast and why I, one of the many reasons I appreciate the work you do so much is this And part of also the way that our society is so fucked up is this lack of community and this lack of communal support, lack of visibility um, for these less than, you know, conventional types of mindsets and way of living. And because the work that you're doing, I mean, it's, you know, one example is like marijuana, for example, right? Like the reason that's illegal is because it completely disrupts the pharmaceutical industry. So it's like, we don't want anybody to know the truth about any of these things, because if so, they're no longer going to participate in the system that we need them to participate in. Right. Um, can we, can we talk about health at every size? Because I want to yeah. get this message out to our, your yes. audience. Yes. Yes. Um, and that fits right into what you're saying. So health at every size is a neutral weight approach to health, right? It's a movement <clears throat> created by Dr. Linda Bacon that looked at all the research that pretends to say that to be healthy, you need to be at a BMI of 25 or around that level. And if you're not, your weight is the cause of your poor health and you need to want to lose weight. So she took that, all that literature, that study, and applied the mindset you just talked about, right? Going against the grain and saying, is this true? And she looked at all the research, and she was not able to find one study that demonstrated a causative, like the causation associated between weight and health issue. She found the plethora study that were associated and linked between weight and health, but all those studies that demonstrate association were not able to demonstrate causation. Further, those studies that was um, demonstrating association were not taking into context lifestyle choices, food quality, exercise, cardiovascular health, and so forth. It was only focused on the weight on the scale. So... Going against the grain, she declared that you can be healthy at any size, which is the case in my life. Like I'm a walking example of that, right? I'm an obese, quote unquote, like a fat woman walking this world and being healthier than 95% of the population. Like I can put my blood tests against most of the people and I'm healthier now that I am than most people. Do you know how disruptive that is? Yes. Like people, people <laughs> walk into a workshop with me, right? Yeah. Example, the workshop says, so you want to lose weight with an integration mark? And they walk and they see this fat woman in front of the room. What the fuck? Like they can't comprehend, right? Because it's not healthy. It's not normal. And it's like a constant 
I'm now at peace with it. But do you know how long it took me to get to that point? Like that's one of my biggest learning tool is my body walking and being a controversy for other people because I'm working against the rules and against the standard of not trying to lose weight. Like I'm not on the keto diet. I'm not on the Weight Watcher thing. And no, I'm not trying to lose weight. Do you know how offensive that is? Yeah. People want to slap me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I want to give you a hug. I think it's awesome. I think we need more people. And that's why like, I'm so into this whole visibility thing because and representation because if it's not for like if I had known I think about this a lot um in regard to sexuality and relationships especially like if I had known what was possible at an earlier age like imagine the pain that I could have avoided but instead what I got was people telling me what you're thinking of or what you want is completely unrealistic and not true and sort of fantastical and like, eh, sounds great, but you know, like good luck with that. Um, and I believed it. I just gave up. I was like, all right, well, if that's what you say, like I'm, you know, nobody, there's no one else telling me any differently. Um, yeah. You're going to fit the mold, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a good place to kind of wrap up. I think I just, being really thankful for what you're doing and also an encouragement to other people to like find that thing for yourself mm-hmm. that sets you apart from the mainstream because it exists. Like, like, I'm sorry, but there's no one that's just like, I just happen to like everything that is like culturally constructed. It's not a thing. Um, and, and I think being brave enough to speak up and, you know, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. Um, mm-hmm. and, the more people that are doing it and the more that we're able to define these, you know, both tangible and intangible spaces for people to exist there is incredibly powerful. And I think kind of like the best that we can do, um, if we're going to talk about saving the world, it's just like be yourself on unapolog- unapologetically and inspire others to do the same. So, um, yes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. The last two things I want to ask you is one, if you could recommend a book, yeah. one book, to everyone on the planet, <laughs> what would it be? The most annoying question ever. And then two, where can people find you? Sure. So the book is going to be Health at Every Size from Dr. Linda Bacon. Um, everyone should read, every woman at least should read that and men as well. Number two, people can find me at stephaniedodzie.com um, on my website. And then you from there, you have all our programs, our services on Instagram at stephdodzie.com. And on Facebook, Stephanie Dodier. So it's all under my name. Um, and um, if you are someone that is um, struggling with body acceptance, relationship to food, I would um, gladly help you in my work and in my community to be this out of norm individual and then find peace and find happiness right how you are today and where you are without having to change a damn thing about you. Amazing. Thank you, Steph. Uh, That was super enjoyable. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Hello again. Thanks for listening to that. Steph is the bomb. Sure. You would all agree by now. Definitely go check out her work and everything she's doing. She's an amazing person to support. I really believe in her and her dedication to 
all of this great stuff. Um, today's song is not thematic. I'm breaking my whole, like playing a song within the theme of the episode. I really don't know what I would play in this case. Um, so instead I'm going to play a song, um, called Sueltalo, I believe it's pronounced by a band called Hermanos Gutierrez. And if you are a patron of mine, you heard me play a song of theirs on my bonus episode as well. I recorded a very unfiltered, unscripted conversation with my friend Autumn. And I actually discovered these guys when I was driving home from Autumn's house, which is in Arizona. So I was driving through the desert this song came on the Discover Weekly playlist in Spotify, and it was the perfect vibe. Um, and I went to check out the rest of their music, and it was so fucking amazing. They've got a couple of albums and an EP. Um, I think their first album, Ocho Años, is my favorite, although they're all really good, especially on a road trip. So please go check out their stuff. You can buy their uh, music on iTunes or Spotify. I actually reached out to them on Instagram to ask if I could play their songs on my show. Um, really into supporting them. Everyone that I've shared their music with has been super into it. Um, so definitely go check them out, support them. They're a couple of brothers from Zurich and I don't think they have or have played any shows in America, but I'm trying to get them here. So join my cause. All right. We got to get them to America because I want to go see them. So Hermanos, Hermanos Gutierrez. Um, the song is called Sueltalo. I don't speak Spanish. So I'm probably butchering all this shit. <laughs> um, it was really hard to pick a song. I, I chose another one for the bonus episode I did with Autumn just so that I could play two of their songs. Cause I was having such a problem deciding. Um, anyway, enjoy lots of cool episodes coming up. And I will talk to you all next time. <laughs> 